over the course of the year of being away from New York, I was living up in New Paltz and we had a, a wood-burning stove, actually a number of wood-burning stoves. And it happened to be that I had a vast interest in, in those stoves, not only because they provided heat, but we already had heat from a geothermal system. We had a lot of heat. But there was a wood-burning sauna <laughs> next to the house. So I learned uh, how to get a sauna going, and it's pretty laborious if anybody's ever done it. In general, just lighting a fire is pretty laborious and getting it to run, but then also making sure that the next day after five hours of, right, of burning wood, you have to come in and, and clean out the ashes. And that was always a very messy part of the morning. And it was almost impossible to make it clean enough. But sure, you, you got rid of the ashes and allowed there to be a new fire to burn. And that experience of the necessity of, of cleaning the ashes, but the inevitability of never being cleaned from them, really opened my heart to something that I'd read a million times in my life because it was my bar mitzvah portion. 40 years ago, on not this Shabbat, but on the Shabbat before Passover, it coincided with the reading of the portion of the week, that is this week's Torah portion. And the beginning of the Torah portion this week, which of course is in the book of Leviticus, the third of the five books of Moshe, is dealing with a mitzvah called Trumata Deshen, the lifting up of the Deshen. Deshen is the word for ashes. The priest would come in in the morning after the sacrifices had been burning through the night. This particular sacrifice is called the Ola, which in English means the Holocaust offering, the fully burnt offering. That offering stayed on the altar all evening. And the fire burned through the night. And in the morning when the priest would come in, the priest would find a heap of ashes. And the Torah tells us that the priest would wear beautiful clothing, or let's say nice clothing, midovad, made of linen, and they remit the deshen, lifting up the deshen, the ashes. They would lift up the deshen. And then he would place the deshen by the side of the altar, by the side over here. And then the Torah tells us this small detail. Ufashat et bigadav, velavash bigadim achirin. And now it's time for a costume change. The priest would take off his clothing. Ufashat et bigadav, he would right, strip down, and wear new clothing. Important detail. Torah is not used to giving details like this. But apparently the clothing change is vital. And then he would take the deshen, the ashes, outside of the tabernacle. So the insight I had in my own haramata deshen, lifting up of the ashes, the inevitability of being unable to fully cleanse oneself from the ashes, but unable without emptying the ashes to light more fire. That insight into this also helped explain for me, or you'll see in a moment, I think it explains for me on some level, hopefully it's useful for you, a glaring question here in the text, which in moments, is it because you're dirty? Well, what's the big deal? 
If you're already dirty with the ashes, you're only taking them now from the side of the altar outside of the tabernacle. So why the clothing change? What could be the significance of this clothing change? And I think that with the insight that I had and also with an insight that I read this week from my teacher and friend and colleague, Rabbi Shaul Magid, Professor Shaul Magid, I think I can begin to make sense of this for me, for us, and for this moment. Shaul Magid, Rabbi Magid, wrote something that I won't ever forget, ironically, because it's about forgetting. In understanding this past holiday of Purim, or trying to make sense of a Purim at a time like this, at a time with a war in Ukraine and with the opening up and all the things that are happening, Rabbi Magid drew our attention to a strange paradox that is embedded within the Purim story, within the Purim observance, within the Purim, the way that we have received it. He writes that remembering, of course, is a core tenet of Jewish life. From the beginning of the Bible, the Bible tells us to remember. Remember God who created the universe on the seventh day of every week. Remember. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. Remember. Zachor. But there's also another Zachor, another remember, which is remember Amalek. Remember this arch enemy of the Jewish people who the tradition says preyed on the vulnerable when they were leaving the land of Egypt and whose ancestor was the arch enemy or the main character, the evil character in the Purim story. But Rabbi Magid points out very beautifully and poignantly and brilliantly that the verses in the book of Deuteronomy that tell us to remember Amalek because they were the ones that struck you when you were vulnerable and you were leaving and you were hungry and tired those same verses say that we are to erase the name of Amalek, mitachat hashamayim, we are to erase, machot et zecher Amalek. We have to erase and blot out the memory of Amalek. And then the verses in Deuteronomy 25 end by saying, lo tishkach, don't forget to blot out the memory of the ones that you are to remember. And he recognizes that in this Mobius strip of verses, what is it? Remember them or blot them out? If you blot them out, you are no longer remembering them. If you remember them, then they're not entirely blotted out. Rabbi Magid says, in this, he says, is a powerful lesson. As we are about to make our way towards redemption, the remembrance of the Egypt saga is a remembrance of freedom and liberation. Purim is a remembrance of calamity, but also of redemption. He writes, Purim is an expression of the ambiguity of remembering and forgetting. There's a tradition to get so drunk on Purim that you can't distinguish between the evil Haman and the blessed Mordechai. This tradition evokes not memory, but its opposite, forgetting. By forgetting or erasing, we can reach the place where Haman and Mordechai are indistinguishable. At that moment, we actually forget that Haman did it to us and thus fulfill the obligation of Purim. The remembrance of God's redemptive promise and the remembrance of the destruction of the temple and our almost death at Purim are two poles in the Jewish covenantal existence 
And forgetting the lesson of Purim is a necessary way to live between these two poles. For Jews to be a part of the world, we must balance these two motifs of remembering and forgetting. If all we do is remember, we become slaves to memory. And if all we do is forget, we erase the legacy of the past and make covenants simply a matter of nostalgia. The current war in Ukraine, he writes, puts these two notions into sharp relief. And Jews in particular into a complex position. On the one hand, many Jews are tied to Ukraine through family. Ukraine housed some of the greatest cities of Jewish life, cities whose names still resonate as centers of learning and creativity. Berdichev, Chernobyl, Bratislav, Odessa. But Ukraine was also the site of some of the most horrific pogroms in our history. Its soil is soaked in the blood of Jews. Some say that Ukrainians during World War II acted more brutally even than the Nazis. That was 75 years ago but the passage of time has not stopped many from holding societies accountable for their actions. Our support for Ukraine requires both remembering and forgetting. Remembering and forgetting. What is an ash if not the remnant, the remnant of what once was? What is an ash, a burnt carcass, a burnt anything except a reminder of what used to be whole. Each and every morning, the priest was enjoined to come in and lift up the deshen, the ashes, to lift up, that was the calamity, to lift up what once was whole, once was flourishing, blooming, blossoming, and lift it off the altar. And then, placing it next to the altar, take off the garment and wear a new garment. Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hirsch writes, the daily service begins with the lifting of the ashes, which recalls the previous day's service and the remembrance of God. But when clearing away those ashes, it signifies each new day renews our commitment to comply with what is new. To carry out the ashes in new clothing is to acknowledge the remnant of what was once, but a commitment to what yet could be. The ashes are forgetting and remembering. To remember what, what might have been, to regret it as we spoke about last week. To never be fully able to erase some memories to not have to be expected to erase memories that are traumatic or painful. To believe deeply that we carry with us the imprint of the ashes of two years of not being able to see one another, that we carry together the ashes of six million human beings whose lives were taken, that we carry with us each and every day the continued reminder of human beings' brutality one to the other, of what it could look like and does look like when people forget who we really are. As communities, as a society, we live with those memories. But if we are slaves to memory, if we don't take off the clothing that we used to lift them and put on new clothing, says Rabbi Hirsch, 
if we don't use the power of intentional, conscious, compassionate forgetting, we can't write a new story. We can't write a new story. You have to put on new clothing. If we don't believe it, then we can't actually make the journey from Purim to Pesach because Pesach is about writing a new story. It's the same story. Here's Big Ben and there's Parliament. Here we are again. It's that time of year for the Seder. Is it the same story? Of course it is. Is it a different story? It has to be. I said to my class this week that for 40 years, you know, 40 years since I read this Parsha, I have a lot of ashes. Ashes, ashes, we all fall up. We lift the ashes. But I'm not that kid. I'm not even the one who was here last week completely. But that erasure that Rabbi Magid was speaking to, that macho emched zechamalek, that erasure is not the erasure of complete obliteration. As I said to the class this week, it's like having a really thick lead pencil and you try to erase it. You can see the faint outlines of pain's past. You can see the faint outlines of what it was last time we were in this position. You can feel the faint outlines of coming back into life and thinking it's going to be exactly the way it once was. And over that series of ashes, which we can't fully clean ourselves from, new clothing, lift up the deshen. In Hebrew, the word deshen not only means ashes, but also fat. We're at a moment now, as we make our journey from Purim to Pesach, we're forgetting and rewriting is absolutely vital for ourselves, our communities, the world around us. We must believe that we can write a new story. That in the place where there was once pain and suffering, there might yet be alchemically gold from that lead. It's a blessing to each and every one of you in your own inner sanctum, in your own inner place, to work with that paradox of how you hold those ashes together with the new clothing you, you wear and where you take it. My prayer, of course, as I'm sure all of yours, is that in the coming weeks, we'll see an end to old stories being replayed and rehashed over and over again. And in their place, God, we'd like to see a new story, a new Torah come from you of brotherhood and sisterhood of common purpose and common connection, it is upon us to make that reality come to fruition. Please rise, the Hashivotah.